may be seated. Thank you so much. And all saying that holds a lot of truth um, goes like this. It says, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. God gave you your parents, your brothers, or sisters. God gave you your children, and God has no exchange policy when it comes to family. Your family is your family for life. They are yours for life. Amen? That's just it. God has created or designed man to share in intimate love and relationship with one another. And if you remember the events describing the creation of woman in Genesis chapter 2, the scripture says in Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for man to be alone. And though this was speaking to Adam as the first in creation, it's not good for us to be alone. So from the very beginning, God was in the family business. And God has not changed. Society, God's first initiation, God's first thing after creating things was to put man. Understanding the, the pivotal role that family plays in society and in the world. God was still, God was and still remains man's perfect helper. He says, not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But God was and God still remains man's perfect helper. But God and man are not suitable for each other. He's our perfect helper, but we are not suitable for each other. That is, God and man are different. God knew that man would need a companion, though, tailor-made for man. And so in Genesis 2, verse 20 to 22, the scripture said, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. You know that that was not good. And so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The woman is made for man, and man for the woman. Within woman, man found a counterpart of himself, bearing his resemblance. So throughout all of creation, nothing else can take the place of woman for a man. She is the suitable helper made for man. That's God's plan. Uh, the problem with homosexuality didn't start when I said it is wrong. It started when God found a woman who was suitable for man. The only suitable companion for mankind, the male in mankind, is a woman. That, that's Bible. That, that's not me. In verse 23, the scripture says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And that's speaking about the laws of marriage. And Adam recognized the special place woman had for man. She was a special gift from God. Amen? Women are a special gift from God. And let me just say, ladies, you need to see yourself as that. You're not a commodity. You're not merchandise. You're not a man's investment policy. You're a special gift from God. And you need to see yourself that way. And here's the thing. So others can see yourself that way. Amen? So the man who approaches you, if you're single, he must understand that you are a gift from God. In all of creation, no other could be found to take her place. She is made uniquely for man. And that is true up to today. The only suitable helper made for man is a woman. Men and women try to satisfy their longing for intimate, loving relationship in many different ways. But it is within the 
marriage relationship that the ultimate fulfillment is found. There is no fulfillment in terms of experiencing all that God has deposited in man and all that God has deposited in woman. There is no fulfillment. There is no way of experiencing that without marriage. Male to female. Female to male. Man to woman. Woman to man in the context of marriage. Sexual relationships and fantasies outside of marriage will leave the individual broken and looking for more. And that's why we have a broken society because we all believe somehow we can live life outside of God's standards and still find joy and fulfillment. And what we have is a lot of broken people. Because one thing with sexual relation is that when they fail, they break you. Even with divorce. Let me just say this again. It does mean then that homosexual relationships are a perversion of God's perfect design. Homosexuality is not a disorder. It is not the way someone was born. It is a sin. Only within marriage can a man and a woman be truly satisfied when it comes down to sexual relations. Anything else is sin. Now, I don't want to get this twisted because I tell you, I love homosexuals in the same way I love you. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you that I wouldn't do for a person who is an adulterer, a fornicator, or a homosexual. I'll treat them the same way I treat you and love you the same. What I don't love is what they do, which is a sin. Way to get that. So the church doesn't hate it. The person, it hates the sin. They love the person too much to allow them to continue to break their own lives down in the sin. Amen? Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Man and woman were together in perfect harmony. We, we come into the family. You have heard the story when Eve asked Adam if he would marry her again. And you know what Adam responded? He said, who else? Right? So rather than thinking negatively, we should see that Adam knew Eve was made to be his perfect companion. Family relationships, then, are at the center of all human relationships. The place where each of us begin to learn about how relationships work is within the family. Paul addressed these foundational relationships in Ephesians 5 and 6 and Colossians 3 that we just read. Paul says, wives, watch this, wives, Submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. In four simple statements, Paul shows us God's plan for family relationships. Four guidelines to make your family successful. And all Paul is saying is that this is what a healthy family looks like. These four statements are the key to having a healthy family. And if we deviate from them, there are going to be issues. I guarantee you that the family that is failing right now, that one of these four principles are not being followed. And I also say that the family that is operating successfully when it, as it relates to what is God's plan for family, they are practicing these four principles. I mean, maybe you haven't started your family yet. You're getting some good stuff. So when you get there, you don't make the mistake that some of us have made. But can we tell truth in church this morning? truth is that families today are failing. They are falling apart. Left, right, 
And in Jamaica, we say center. And many of those that are still together, they are less than ideal. We have a problem with our families. It is the same problem we talked about last week. Which keeps us from enjoying relationships as God's design. What's the problem? The problem is sin. God's image within us has been distorted. And until we deal with the sin problem, we can't expect much better than fractured relationships held together by duct tape. And that's even true for so-called Christian families. Our church families. So how can we improve our relationships? Our family relationships? How can we place God's design for healthy relationships back in our life? Last week, we looked at um, Jesus' example. In John 13, 15, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the Apostle Paul from Christ's example. We saw that Jesus could show us how to be perfect friends. So we need to have healthy friendships. And we spoke about that in the church. We are, we are family who have good friendships. You're not my friend. You're my family and we share healthy friendships. And the family... The this is the issue. The issue is that if we have broken families in our physical home, then we, when we come to the church home, we're going to operate based on what is happening in the home. So if we fix it in the church, maybe we can fix it in the home. Or if we get it right in the home, maybe we come into the church healthier, right? And, and the church operates better. We have issues in the church because we have issues in families generally. We don't get along in church because we don't get along in our families. I guarantee you, when you have a problem with a brother and sister, you have problems with the people, members of your family as well. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's not a church issue. It's, it's, a, it's a we issue. We are our problem. But, but, we, 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 we still have the old Adam nature that says, don't blame me. Blame Eve. And Eve said, well, don't blame me. Blame the, blame the serpent. It couldn't be my fault because I'm doing my best. It must be your fault. It must be the church's fault why we can't get along. It must be my father. It must be, it must be somebody. It could I am too nice to be the fault. So we need to have good friendships. What, what does that look like? A friend is forgiving. Let me give you them, right? A friend is forgiving. Uh, I could give you scriptures, but that's not the main thing. A friend is real. A friend imparts truth. A friend is embracing. A friend is not selfish. And a friend is dedicated. So we are family together that operate under these friendship principles. And that's how the church ought to get it right. So if we want to improve our family relationship, as, as Paul outlined in Colossians 3, we need to apply these same principles to our family. We need to be forgiving. We need to be real. We need to impart truth. We need to be embracing. We need to not be selfish. And we need to be dedicated. I'm going to use those six things and put them to family and give it a six things that will make family life better. So the first thing is forgiving. Family relationships are forgiving. For any family to operate according to God's standard, you have to forgive. Like, it's almost like we can't go past here. Wherever you are, those watching online and those in here, the greatest thing you can do on this Mother's Day to restore your family is start forgiving. Like the best gift you can give is to write a letter and say, I forgive you. Forgive me. And I know you are right. I know you are right. I know it is not your fault. I know it's not your fault. You are the, you are the perfect person. I know, I know it's not your fault. I know it's not your fault. I, I don't want you to forgive somebody because 
It's their fault. I want you to forgive them because it sets you free. In fact, I want to push you. I, I'm going to push your button. You know they say, push your buttons in Jamaica. I want to push your button a little bit. I want you to go even further. I want you to apologize for them. For not forgiving them a long time ago. I want, you to, I want you to say to them, first, listen, I owe you a big apology. I should have done this because I know better. So first, I apologize to you for not forgiving you. guidelines that Paul gives for family relationship won't work if we are going to carry around resentment and hard feelings towards our family members. It doesn't make sense because your family will be with you forever. So you, it makes no sense to carry, carry around resentment and hard feelings. Wives, don't worry about submitting to your husband not until you can forgive them first. Dads, don't concern yourself with not being harsh to your wife and children. That is not until you can forgive them. Children, don't go overboard and try to obey your parents. Start with forgiving. If you, none of these things, submitting don't make any sense if you haven't forgive, forgiven the person. Because if you don't forgive others, neither will the Heavenly Father forgive you. It starts with forgiveness. Only as our love finds expression through forgiveness do we create an environment in which it is safe for family members to respect each other. Forgiveness creates respect. And part of the problem is that respect has broken down because people don't forgive. Why do you think we have so much conflict? Because we like to carry feelings. Instead of carrying each other's burdens, we carry feelings for each other. I had a very interesting conversation with a good friend of mine a few weeks ago. I don't know what happened yet, but I hope you find out. And, 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 and my friend said, I'm into my feelings. And I, I couldn't understand because it's, a, it's, a, it's like one of those new terminologies. But what interfeelings mean, like something bothering you, like not something, someone bother you, and you, you know, like you know what you're supposed to do, but you're bothered by the feeling, and so you got through the feeling without forgiving. We are carrying resentment and. People can't respect each other in an environment where there is no forgiveness. When, when forgiveness is experienced, respect is seen. Why is it that words, the words, I am sorry and I forgive you, can be so hard to say? Listen, maybe it's because we don't want to humble ourselves and put others ahead of ourselves, even in our own families. Matthew 6, 14 to 15, I know somebody's watching and saying, well, pastor, if you know my family, you wouldn't be preaching that sermon this morning. It's because you don't know my family. Listen, it's because you don't know my family. You think the grass is greener on this side? I, I've just chosen to pour the water of forgiveness on my grass. Yours can be just as green. Amen? Here's what Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Watch this. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What is more important? Isn't it more important for you to be forgiven by God? So I need to do for me what causes me to experience the forgiveness of God. What do I need to do to experience that? To forgive others. How many of us want God to forgive us of our sin? 
then if we want God's forgiveness, we must first be a forgiving person. So that's my first challenge for you. But Pastor, you don't know what my husband did. Pastor, you don't know what my wife did to me. Pastor, you don't know how my father treated me. Pastor, you don't know how my mother allowed um, them to deal with me. Where was she when they were doing all kind of stuff to me and stuff? I don't need to know, but you need to forgive the person. That I need to tell you. And what do you do when you have situations like this? Jesus said, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Make forgiveness easy. The principle for making forgiveness easy, just think that people are ignorant. They don't know better. Jesus said, listen, they don't know. You would think like these guys had a planned out activity. Jesus said, forgive them. They don't, they don't even know what they're doing. Our, our pastor, you don't know how badly I was hurt by my parents. It wasn't just once, but it happened again and again. I don't have to know about your childhood to know that you're, you still have to forgive. Our pastor, you don't know what my child has done. They have disgraced me. I never brought them up to live like that. You're right. I may not know, but I know you must forgive. It's not a matter of what I think, what you think. It's a matter of what God says. And if I want to be forgiven, then I must forgive. No matter who, no matter what. Healthy family relationships start with forgiveness. Just like friendships are real, family relationships must be authentic. No one knows you better than your mother, they say. You can fool some people some of the time, and other people can be fooled all the time, but you can't fool your mother. I'm telling you. Listen, if you think you're getting away with your mother, you're not getting away. They're just, causing, they're just allowing you to play the fool. You can't fool. The, listen, you, the one person, you can, maybe can trick your father or things like that. But you can't fool your mother. Like, like women have a built-in, discerning, detective radar working in them. Like they can pick up things. You understand me? They walk into a place and they can, they can pick up everything. I'm saying, I mean, the, the men know this. Have, I, I ever asked, how did you come up with that? Well, you don't know yet. <laughs> but I see it in the future. <laughs> like, they have this thing. You can't fool your mother. Very little can be hidden within the family for too long. Husbands and wives will discover the truth about each other. Parents will find out what children are hiding. And children will know when mom and dad are being hypocrites. You can't, and I said this to parents, you can't hide truth from your children. At some point, they're going to know that what you're doing is wrong. And what you're saying and what you're living is two different things. Your daughter, your son, going to say, well, you talk about marriage, but I know you never lived the marriage life. At some point, they're going to find out. Because family relationships are real. Listen, I love my family. You know, the Bible is so real. The scripture says a man, a man is of no honor in his own tongue. You know my family treat me? Oh, boy, Omar! <laughs> Omar, we well, going a long time in a chat to you. Hey, I'm, I'm at church. I'm about to prepare for Bible study. I'm having no business. You're going to tell me you're not cousin. That's, I, mean, I mean, sorry, sorry for the language, but, but I'm telling you, I mean, because you're thinking, hey, yeah, yeah, we know you're a real pastor, and, but are we are talk to. <laughs> that, that's how family are. Family say, well, you could be pastor, you could be archbishop. We are your family. You don't come here with your archbishop, it's hell. When you come here, you are cousin, you are brother. <laughs> you, you, we're not to 
call you no sister, no, 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 we not, you don't know sister so-and-so, no brother, you don't know deacon this, you don't know reverend this, you don't know pastor this, you are just plain old Wade. That's family. <laughs> it's true not only for the sins we may try to hide in our family, but also true for who we really are on the inside. Our hearts, which is our real identity, will be uncovered within our family. So what better place, church, to learn how to be real? In the family, we don't have to hide who we are. And we can learn to accept each other in spite of our differences. And I think this is part of the, 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 the culture change that Jamaica needs to go through. I think a lot of our kids uh, growing up now, they have several difficulties. And we are so cultured in a form of parenting. Our parenting, you know how computers upgrade and cars upgrade and phones upgrade. I think for the most part, our parenting has not been upgrading at the pace that our children are upgrading. And, and many of us, we are being left behind in our parenting because we can't accept our kids who have some strange ideas. I didn't know about rings in so many different parts of the body until I was like 18, 19. Now at 14 and 13, kids tell about all different piercings all over. I, I never saw a tattoo until I was like 18 years old. The first tattoo I saw and it was a Christian tattoo. When I asked the person, what is that? They say, you see, I want a little Christian cross. I was 18. Kids now know about tattoos. So your son says to you at, at 12, they want a tattoo. Don't come to me with that again. You're a child. All right? So what going to happen is that they are tattoo-minded. So they're going to get a tattoo. And not tell you. And all you have to do is have a conversation. You don't have to give permission. But we can't even have a conversation. There are kids growing up who have homosexual tendencies that can't talk in their homes about it. Especially in Christian homes. Because if they do that, come Sister Marcy, make we cast out this demon. And they pray. And I'm not saying the demon can't be cast out. But when that boy or that girl goes to school and meet that next child who have those tendencies, they meet the demon again. So what's going to happen is that every day you're going to have to be casting out the demon. Or you can have a conversation and talk them through and help them to walk through it. That's what family relationships are for. Where people can be real and be open about their struggles and their pain. Because if we did that, we have nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of in the church. That's how relationships grow deep when they are authentic or real. Luke 18, 17 to 18 says this, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Number three, family relationships are magnetic. What happens when they get two magnets close together? They are drawn together. Even when you put the same poles of magnet near each other, their response will be turned and drawn, joined together. You see, family relationships should naturally share loving touches. We need to hug more in our families. Touch. There is no tenderness in our families. Like, like, like so many of our boys grew up and their mother have never embraced them. My wife is very good at this. She kisses Nathan and Jonathan. They don't want me to kiss them. I'm telling you, kids are different. 
me. I, <laughs> I said, because they, they don't want me to teach them. I don't know why. I said, they said, no. <laughs> they know that. Right? But our boys have to grow up understanding tenderness and how they do that when they have parents who hug them and, and hold them. That, that needs to happen when they have fathers who can walk with them and hold their hand on the street and embrace them and not afraid to lift them up and stuff. That needs to happen. Family needs to be a place where there are loving touches every single day. Husbands and wives, parents and children, even brothers and sisters should be drawn into and embrace our group hug. So this is, uh, you need to get your family together and, and say, come on, let's do a big hug. The next family gathering you have, if there are six of you, say, come on, at least once a week, your family need to come together and hug each other. Amen? Come together and do what? the Bible tells us that there's a time to embrace. You should put aside a day of the week to hug. And call it, this is our hug day. Today, everybody gets a hug in our family. There are husbands that don't hug their wives unless they're in bed. Today is hug day. Everybody gets a hug. And you hug every member in your family. Find your sister, your brother. You know, some of us have never hugged our brother or sister. Uh, uh, have you ever said, I can't tell when last? And, like there's something wrong with our families. And so we come to church and it's the same attitude. When we have an issue, we stop greeting. Because when we have issues in our family, we stop greeting. And God is saying, listen, the family needs to be restored to its original order and place according to God. Number four, family relationships impart knowledge and instruct. It is in the family that we learn. God has given parents the responsibility to teach their children. Parents, it is your job to teach your children. Mothers, it is your job to teach your children. Fathers, it is your job to teach your children. That's a God-given responsibility. It is not the church's responsibility. It is not the school's responsibility. It is your responsibility to teach your child. Deuteronomy 6, 69 says, These commandments that I give you today, are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. So the scripture is saying there are times when you need to have your family time in your house and you talk about God's command. And there are times when you and your family need to go on a walk. Like some of us need that right now like me. I need to go on more walks with my family for other reasons than spiritual. You understand? But we need to, we need to walk. And as we walk, we begin to talk about the word of God and the things of God. As we walk, amen? He says, talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down, meaning before you go to bed, you talk about the things of God. And when you get up in the morning, you see how many devotions you're supposed to have? Morning devotions. Watch this. Night devotions. Walking devotions. And dinner devotions. says, tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It is not the responsibility of the school to teach our children academically or morally. It is our job. Nor is it the church's job to teach our children about God. It is our job as parents. Why? Because important lessons are caught not taught. More is. Here you go. The school your child attends the longest. 
It's called parent college. Because it is you, or you can call it the family college. People learn more in the context of the family. You know the story about this lady, married, young couple, first year of marriage, and she always did the chicken in the toaster oven. Every time she would be baking chicken, she baking the toaster oven. So her husband would always ask her, why do you bake the chicken in the toaster oven when we have an oven? And he said, well, I don't know, but that's how I saw my mother do it. So if you want to know why I do it that way, you have to ask my mother. So I said, the husband said, all right, well, next time I go to the family reunion, I'll ask your mother. So they got to the family reunion and saw the mother, his mother-in-law, and asked, I mean, um, like you'd say, like, Carrie said that, you know, you bake the chicken. Um, she bakes the chicken in the toaster oven because she learned that from you. So the mother says, well, well, yeah, that is so true. She learned it from me because I learned it from my mother because that's how my mother do it. So he went to the, the grandmother, which is his grandmother-in-law, and asked her, why did you do that? Because, you know, my wife told me that she learned it from her mother, and her mother said she learned it from you. She said, well, I didn't have an oven, so I had to bake the chicken in the toaster oven. And that was the only reason why I did it. All right? So here it is that she never taught them by telling but they learn by seeing. And though it didn't make any sense, I want you to understand it. It never make any sense now, and it wasn't necessary. They were still practicing the same lesson. And what that means is that a lot of the attitude of our kids come from their home and not from their school. My parents always told me that people need to know a who for how to come from when you go on road. So my father would say to me, you can't go to the road and dress up. I mean, have one good, good, nice shorts, you know? Like that's a little, you know them little shorts you play ball? Him say, tuck it in. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. So I, I never practice wearing my pants down here because when my father dressed him, see belt draw tight, you know, like him. <laughs> <laughs> belt. I said, I mean, I, I mean, his belt always, because, I mean, if it's supposed to stop at the fifth one, I mean, he goes down to eight because it's so tight, because this shirt is not supposed to come out. It's, it's kind of funny because I'm having these struggles with my son, because one, I mean, he don't get it yet, because his shirt is always coming out. But the other one, I mean, his belt is tight. Kids learn from their parents. Proverbs 6, 20 to 23 says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see how important a mother and a father is? So if you're going to have a child, the first thing you must ask yourself is, that, can this person be the kind of parent that God wants them to be? Don't have a child with a person that you're not convinced can be a good parent. It says, bind them upon your hearts forever. Fasten them around your neck. Will you, when you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not from it. Here you go. Number five. Family relationships are loyal to the end. Loyal to the end. No matter what, we are family. Have you ever heard a Jamaican say blood is thicker than water? And they say it in the context of conflict. They say when you see family in a conflict, don't go in there. You see two brothers fighting, and you go inside here, the two brothers turn around. <laughs> Right? Family relationships should be bound together with super glue, meaning unbreakable. 
parents should model a relationship that is constant and steadfast before their children. And that is why divorce and sh separation should not be a child's fear. Our kids need to know that families stick together. When we make a commitment to each other, we keep it. Because faithfulness is learned at home. That's where we learn faithfulness. The good news is that today we can all start afresh. That's the thing with God. We always get other opportunities to get it right. 1 Timothy 5, 9 to 10 says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60 and has been faithful to her husband. You hear that? The widow has to be faithful and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children. For widows to have benefited from the early church, they had to, people should know that they were training up and bringing up their children well, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the same, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. More importantly than extending care to the widow, Paul teaches us that the life of the believer, both men and women, should be marked by faithfulness. One of the reasons that God hates divorce is because he's a faithful God. And he will never divorce himself. His faithfulness prohibits him from divorcing us. So don't think that God hates divorce because he has problems with people. It is because of who he is. In other words, God can't think breaking up the relationship with you. It can't happen. Like it doesn't cross God's mind to say, let me break off. He doesn't have that kind of a thought. So when he hears about divorce, it's contrary to who he is. And that's why he hates it. It's not like he hates the people. It's because of how he is. Do you understand? Because even when we are what? Unfaithful, he's what? He's faithful. God is in fact, remember God, faithfulness is not just God's attribute. It's God's character. It's who he is. He's, he's, he's his name. He's what? The faithful and true. In other words, because he has always been, he gets the name. God can't be anything else but faithful, and therefore that is why he says in the family relationship, when people come together for family, it's supposed to stick together. That is why your family is your family forever. You can't divorce your sister or your brother. It, it, you have to just forgive your mother and your father because you can't separate yourself from them no matter how you try. In a biblical sense. Do, do you understand? Amen. So, faithfulness. They keep their promises and are true to their word. A believer doesn't waver in his or her marriage commitment. Our word is dependable in all areas of life. And our children need to learn and know that. Finally, family relationship yield to one another. We give in. I always tell people, if you're a male, this is for you. If you have to tell everybody that you wear the pants in the house, there is a problem. If you have to be telling your, your household every day that you wear the pants in there, maybe you don't wear the pants. Paul goes into Colossians chapter 4 speaking about Christian graces in terms of what we're supposed to do, about continuing prayer, be vigilant, and all of that, and he gives all of these things, right? Um, but part of what Paul is teaching, if you, if you read it, is how we ought to put others above us in our family. The central key to each one of these rules for the family is that no one is trying to be number one. The family relationship is like this. I want you to be number one, and you want me to be number one. So, all that is happening is that we are making each other better. The husband is trying to elevate the wife. The wife is trying to elevate the husband. The daughter is trying to elevate the father. The father is trying to elevate. 
we are, we are trying to put each other first. Selfishness is replaced with humility. We learn within this family to put others first. Put others first. Mark 9.35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. In other words, how do we function effectively in the family? Finally, we seek to serve others. Hallelujah. So we yield to one another. We are loyal to the end. Family is a place where the impartation of knowledge and instruction, the relationships are magnetic. It's a place where we can be real. It's authentic. Amen? I don't know what your family is like, but the good news church this morning is that whatever state it is in, God is a healer. But it has to start with forgiving. And I know that family relationships are so hard because sometimes, because we can't be separated, things happen over and over again. But how often should we forgive? 70 times 7. So we just keep on forgiving and keep on moving on. And so I'm going to ask you to, to stand with me this morning. And I want us to pray for our families. But in praying for our families, I want us to pray for our roles in our families. I want us to ask ourselves, what am I going to do this Mother's Day? Starting today, what am I going to do to make my family better? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to create an atmosphere around where they can be real? Who do I need to embrace? Who do I need to be humble before in seeking to put them above me? What am I teaching? What lessons am I passing on to the younger generation in my family? So I want you to pray this morning and I want you to pray for your family. Ask God to come and cause you to be one in the name of Jesus. If you feel like there are divisions, say, Lord God, you break. Just say, God, I break everything that will divide my family. God, I, I and, and say, God, I call uh, cousins and brothers and sisters together, Lord God, and aunts and uncles, Lord God Almighty, mother and father. Uh, we, 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 we call them together, Lord God. May the magnet of love pull us together as we forgive each other, Lord God. Whatever they have done, God, I will forgive, Lord God, and help me to teach them how to forgive others in the family, Lord God. Teach them to forgive me as you have taught me to forgive them, Lord God Almighty. I thank you, Lord God, that uh, you have put me in a family to instruct and to teach, Lord God. May I impart godly wisdom and godly words and godly direction to the younger ones in my family, even the older ones who may not know you as Lord and Savior. Come on, just thank him. So, Lord, I thank you for my family, Lord God Almighty. I'm going to begin to water the grass of my family so it will get green, oh Lord God. Come on, just say, Lord, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for my sister. I thank you for that cousin. I thank you for that mother. God, a father, mother. God, I thank you for that aunt. We, we have not been getting along, but God, I thank you for we are family. God, I thank you for that nephew or that niece. God, they keep embarrassing the family. They're causing a whole lot of problems. But God, we are family. And God, we love them nonetheless, Lord God. And we thank you for that. Come on, just say, no matter what, I love my family, Lord. Come on, just, just take a couple of minutes, Lord. I pray for unity in my family. So release a, a spirit of unity over my family right now, God. Bring us back together again. Hallelujah. Come on, begin to just burst with excitement, excitement as you pray. Imagine, just imagine with me, if your family were one. Imagine with me what that would look like if one day God would have every member of your family 
going to church with you. You all worshiping God together. Imagine if the next prayer meeting, you had uh, 50, 60, 70 of your primary family members praying together, worshiping together, walking together. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine how that would feel. So we thank you, Lord God. We pray that the blood of Jesus will break every card of discord in our families. Every bitter thing will be released. Every petty thing will be released. Every hurt will be forgiven. Listen, don't let the small issues, when you weigh them all together, some of us, we have been through so much with our family, and then we allow some small things to separate us. Maybe you're asleep in the same bed with your brother or your sister because it was a small house. I mean, you used to eat out of the same, you know, plate and, you know, shared the same bottle when you were babies and you used to exchange clothes and now all of a sudden, just, just simple thing and God is saying, I mean, it's time to restore the family. God, I pray in the name of Jesus as we close that God, you'll bless every family in this church across Jamaica. God, I pray that in the kingdom of God, not just church on the rock, but every church across Jamaica, that we'll get our families right so that when the world looks at us, in our families, they will see Jesus lifted high and be drawn to him. Hallelujah. God, we pray for those who are unsaved in our families. And we pray that right now there would be an unction of the Spirit of God upon their hearts. And that they'll respond to the gospel and receive you as Lord and Savior. God, give us words to speak to them so that they, come in, they can come into the joy of salvation. We bless you. We bless you and thank you, Lord. We declare that our families are blessed and they are favored of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands for him this morning. Hallelujah. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful rest of the day. Enjoy the rest of the Mother's Day. Remember, if you're a mother, there are some masks on the outside that you can, you can get. They will go nice with your shirt. Check the 